Amen. So, again, I'm going to give a short review. It says that God, crea God created a place of paradise for Adam and Eve to live. Parad the word, and they called it the Garden of Eden. Eden means pleasures or, or delight. It, it was a place of paradise where there was no pain, no sickness. Work was easy. There was plenty. There was no struggle. Life wasn't filled with all the difficulties that we struggle with today. E even among the animal kingdom. It's not like now you ever watch Shark Week and hear these sharks coming, attacking fish and, and trying to eat people. Back then, it wasn't like that. There was no violence even among the animals. There, there were no storms, no earthquakes, or all the problems in nature. Adam and Eve, they lacked nothing. They walked with joy, and God's original plan was not for them to die. There was a tree of life in the middle of the garden, and they ate from that tree. And they, they, as long as they could eat from the tree of life, they would live. They walked with God. There was no distance, no separation. In fact, Adam and Eve were so close to God that they didn't even realize that they were naked. They were clothed with God's glory and presence. But then Adam and Eve sinned. Remember, they ate the fruit from the tree that God told them not to. And because sin came into the world, because they rebelled against God, a curse came over Adam and Eve, and not only over them, but God cursed the ground. God said, cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. And thorns and thistles began to grow, meaning that from that point on, life would be trouble, that work would, you would work hard and get back little, that there would be lack and poverty. That's, that's all the price of sin. He said, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. Everything in life from, from that point on, was removed from God's original plan, from his original intention. And God threw Adam and Eve out of the garden, out of paradise. And he put angels with flaming swords and said, you're not going to come back or you're going to die trying. You see, the world we live in now, this is not the way that God intended it to be. All the wars, the poverty, the abuse, injustice, the weak are crushed by the strong, women are exploited, the natural disasters, the wickedness, the fatherlessness, the abuse, the abandonment. This world is not what God saw when he created Adam and Eve, but it was the result of disobedience, the result of sin. It says in Psalm 115, verse 16, 
The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. In other words, don't blame God for the state of this earth like I hear people do all the time. Well, if there's a God, why is this earth all messed up? Why does all this evil happen? Why? Because he gave it to us and we messed up. Not only did he give it to us, he gave us a rule book on how to live. We totally ignored it, and destruction came on the earth. You see, God is a God of love. He's the heavenly bridegroom. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, God loves all that he has made. But here's the thing. Yes, he's a God of love, but he's also the righteous judge. And he judged Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve would judge for their sin, not only were they found guilty, but the whole human race was found guilty. We were all in Adam and Eve. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We're all paying the price. We all walk in a fallen world. We all die. We get sick because of the sin of Adam. Through that one man, through that one man's sin, death entered in. Sin entered in. The curse, the penalties has entered in, has, has gone down through the generations. That's all bad news so far. But let me tell you the good news. From the beginning, God knew that Adam and Eve were going to mess up. And he had a plan. And his plan was to send the Savior, Jesus, who came down from heaven and died on the cross and took upon himself all the sin that separates us from God. Again, Romans chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life with every, for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So here's the gospel right here. Because of the one Adam, we're going to die, we suffer, we get sick. But because of the one Jesus, who's called the second Adam, if you are in him, if you are in Christ, if you love him, if he lives in your heart, then because of his one righteous act of dying on the cross, that curse is broken off your life. Death has no more power over you. Sorrow has no more power over you. The Bible says that because he took a beating by the stripes on his back, there's healing for you. You don't have to leave here sick. The power, the favor, the love of God rests on those who are his. But you see, it's a narrow way. I hear a lot of talk on TV, all over Facebook. Well, there's many ways that lead to God. 
you know, there's different religions and everybody got their own journey and everybody's on their own path to God. Doesn't that sound open-minded and, and wonderful? But that's a total lie. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father unless, except through me. See, Jesus is the gate. He's the way back into paradise, the way back into God's favor, the way back into prosperity, the way back into the goodness of God. But what did he say? Narrow is the path. Narrow is the gate. There's many ways that lead to hell. Many paths that lead to destruction. Many other religions you can follow will take you right, in, right into death. But because you love Jesus, because you're on the narrow path, you will live and not die. You will live forever. God has a purpose and a plan for you. You see, God's original plan is going to be restored. God's original intention when he made Adam and Eve, it's, it's going to be restored to the earth. See, the Bible says when Jesus returns, we are going to have bodies like him with no sickness, no pain. You know what Jesus did? He walked through the wall. That's going to be hot, right? Going right through the walls. Being in one place, the next minute you're in another place. That's what Jesus did. There's going to be total restoration. We're, we're never going to die. We're not going to know pain anymore. And not only does God have a plan to restore us, he has a plan to restore this earth. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. The Bible says that although the earth is still under a curse, that all nature and the earth is groaning. For the return of Jesus. See, Jesus, he died, he rose again, and he went up to the right hand of the Father. And he says, one day I'm coming back. The first time he came as a lamb who died on the cross, he came meek and mild and humble. But let me tell you something. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's coming back as the Lion of Judah, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's going to rule and reign on this earth. He's going to defeat evil. He's going to wipe out wickedness on this earth. See, right now we're in the time of grace. 
Don't we love God's grace where everyone can come, the worst sinner? You can go to the prison and look for the most horrible person there and say, if you turn to Jesus, his arms are open. There's grace and mercy. But the day of God's judgment is going to come. It's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. And when he returns, he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. And we're going to rule and reign with him forever and ever. And as I said, not only are we going to be restored with new bodies without sickness and pain, but God is going to restore this fallen earth. It says in Isaiah 11, verse 6, that in that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. In other words, God's original plan for this earth is going to come to be. No more shark week. No more animal planet where you sit and watch for hours the lions attacking the, the poor gazelle. It's not going to happen anymore because that's not what God meant for this earth. All the earthquakes, all, all, all the disasters, the storms, the hurricanes, the tornadoes are going to end. The earth is going to be healed. And in the end, God is going to have his way. Sin will be defeated. Death will be defeated. Can you imagine a world like that? It says, it says in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, that, that the armies will take their swords and beat them into plowshares for farming, and no longer will they learn war anymore. The earth will be filled with peace. It's going to be paradise. Can you imagine a world without the Boston Celtics? That's paradise right there. No more Red Sox. Hey, that got a bigger bump than the Celtics, Pastor Joe. <laughs> but in the meantime, we're still living on this earth that's devastated because of sin. So here's what I want to do. I want to go to the book of Joel that gives us an example of the devastation of sin. See, God had warned the nation of Israel. He told them, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have everything you need. But if you worship idols, if you turn against me, I'm going to send locusts on the land. You know what locusts are? We're going to show you. But they're like grasshoppers, and they come by the millions and they come and devastate your property. See, back then they were all farmers. And the locusts would come and they would begin to eat up all the crops. So that's, what, that's the background for Joel chapter 1. I'm going I'm to read in verse 4 what happened. It says, 
What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. In other words, waves of devastation came on Israel because God, the righteous judge, spoke judgment over Israel. And, there be, and poverty came. Famine came. People walked in devastation. Do you have the video? Or? And the, li the lives of people became destroyed. Take a look. You see the locusts. Triggered by the rains, all devouring army, locusts, locusts. Millions emerge from their eggs buried in the sand, gathering into, gathering columns, into columns which may stretch for ten kilometers. At this stage, At they, this can't stage they can't fly, only hop, only hop, but it doesn't hinder, it their, doesn't progress. hinder their progress. These sweeping hordes devastate any fresh growth in their path. After five, After five weeks, weeks of steady, munching, steady munching, the infantry, infantry becomes, airborne. becomes airborne. Breeding swarms can cover, can cover up to 80, up to 80 kilometers, kilometers a day, but only, but only but food and moisture last. last. So how do you so define, do you a, define desert a desert in Africa? There are places, there are places where less than 50 centimeters, centimeters of rain falls a year. Falls a year. See, what you saw on that video is a picture of this earth, the devastation of sin, the trouble that, that so often we have to endure, the abuse, the abandonment, the fatherlessness. But there's a, there's a mighty promise from God. God says, Joel chapter 2, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Here's what God's saying. There's devastation in this world. It's the result of man's sin. It was never God's will. It was never God's heart to send a curse on this earth that we have to live amongst all the drug abuse, alcoholism. But God said, I will restore to you all the years that the locusts have eaten. That's not just a promise for when Jesus comes back. That's a promise for you right here, right now. God has promised to restore you. We don't have to live in, in, in regret anymore. 
Well, if only, if only I, I would have broke off that relationship before I wasted all those years. If only I didn't marry that person. If only I didn't stay in that dead-end job. If only I didn't waste my teenage years and I would have studied. If only I would have gone back to school. If only I would have started that business when I had the opportunity. And you live in a place of regrets because the locusts have come and eaten. They come and worn away at you. But God says, I'm going to give it back. I'm going to restore all the wasted years. All the devastation that you've gone through. It's his, he's on to restore your family, restore your marriage, restore your mind, your finances. But God does it better. You know how God restores? He makes it better than it was in the beginning. I want to read one last scripture, Isaiah 51.3. The Lord will comfort Israel again and have pity on her ruins. Her desert will blossom like Eden. Her barren wilderness like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found there. Songs of thanksgiving will fill the air. Again, that's not just a promise to Israel. That's a promise to you. The wastelands of your heart and your life. The messes that you've made. See, it doesn't matter if it was your fault. Because Jesus died on the cross, it's all washed away. I don't live anymore in that place of what if, if only the wastelands, the broken places in your life, the, the mess you made out of areas of your life, of your emotions. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restore and they're going to bloom like the Garden of Eden. I, I, I want to give you a testimony. And you're going to then hear some other testimony. See, I, I grew up in Long Island. And a lot of people think, oh, that's where all nothing bad goes on there. Oh, that's the rich people are there. Can I tell you that any neighborhood in the world, the same stuff goes on behind closed doors? When I was five years old, my father left, and many times years would go by when I didn't see him. In the meantime, my mother remarried an alcoholic, and she became an alcoholic. And she would be abused so bad that her teeth would fall out. I, I slept down in the basement. And many nights, I could hear my mother falling on the floor from the beatings that she would take. And you know what happened? For years, up until a few years ago, every single night, I would have night terrors. I couldn't sleep at night. I'd wake up screaming every single night. When I was young, I, just for, I thought it was fun, I used to close my eyes and run across the street without looking if any cars were coming. Say, I was walking under a spirit of death. Ten years of psychotherapy, trying to get free. I was taking pills for depression. I didn't care if I lived or died anymore. 
They grew up feeling like nobody, like nothing. Yes, right there on Long Island. And my mother ended up on welfare and poverty. But here's the good news. God said, I will restore the wasted areas of your life, the wastelands, the broken places, and that fear is gone. I can sleep at night. I can have peace and joy. The spirit of death is broken off of my life. God has kept his promise. He has given me back all those wasted years. All the years that the enemy has come and stolen. Where those locusts, the swarming locusts, the chewing locusts. God has given them back. And I just want to praise him right now. God, we just want to thank you. So I'm going to ask Josh is going to come. I just wanted you to hear a few more testimonies of how this scripture is true. That God is going to bring life into the wasted places, into the wastelands. That he's going to restore everything that the locusts have eaten. Good morning. Um, so I guess... Um Pastor Gary had originally asked me to do like a spoken word and stuff like that um, today and everything. And, um, and I really struggled with like writing and stuff like that. It's been a while. Like I've been going through a lot of stuff in my life, like a lot of ups and downs and a lot of changes. And um, when he told me that he was speaking on restoration, um, I looked at what God has done in my life with the situations that I've dealt with. You know, when you grow up as a child, you know, you have like this mindset that everything in life will be perfect and every choice that you make is going to be perfect and your job and every situation and stuff. But as you grow older, you know, you're faced with a bunch of choices. Sometimes we make good choices. Sometimes we make bad ones. You know, and depending on those choices that we make, it's kind of how our life gets, you know, it's, you know where we go in our life and everything. But through God's grace and everything, there's always mercy, you know what I mean? And there's always forgiveness and stuff like that. And in my life, I'm a living testimony of what grace, what God's grace, you know, can do to somebody and stuff like that. I spent seven years in the military, and the whole time that I was in the military, all I did was do drugs, sell drugs, sleep around, do whatever. I didn't care. Um... I sat there and I lived a reckless life or whatever. I was away from my family. I didn't care. I didn't want my family to, I didn't want nobody to tell me anything. When I was 13 years old, I started growing up with this issue called anger. And I know a lot of people know what anger is and stuff like that. So I like fighting people. I did anything I could to take away my pain or whatever. I would look at myself and I hated myself. I didn't think I was worthy of anything. I didn't think I could be accepted by anyone. I didn't think I was good enough for anything. And it led to a lot of bad choices in my life. Even to this day, I still struggle with them. You know what I mean? I struggle when I'm in a relationship or something like that. I struggle with being faithful. Or I struggle with, you know what I mean, when somebody tells me to do something right or whatever, I don't want somebody to tell me what to do or something like that. I think I know everything. You know, we all struggle with that. We don't want people to tell us to do stuff or whatever the case is. And we struggle because we tell them, you know, I got this all covered or whatever the case is. You know, and for once in my life, when I sat there and I thought about what Pastor Gary was talking about, I thought about... Every time that something happens in my life, I always point the finger at somebody else. 
and I always say, you know what, it's their fault, or it's this person's fault, or it's that person's fault, or they did this to me, so I have the right to act this way or something like that. But in all reality, it's just the choices that I chose to make. I chose to rebel. I chose to be a different person. I chose to make certain decisions in my life, you know what I mean? And I'm so thankful because at 26 going on 27 years old, there's so many times that I should have been either dead or locked up in jail. You know what I mean? There's so many times that there should have been so many situations where I could have had kids or something like that and been paying child support, whatever the case is. No job, broke, you know what I mean? Whatever. And God has taken me away from all of that. You know, God has given me grace. He's blessed me with mercy. He's given me jobs that I don't need, I'm not even qualified for, you know what I mean? Um, so at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you know what I mean? Like, I look at God, and the only thing I can tell you is people will sit there, and they'll tell you every single day to your face, like, I'll be there for you. I love you. I'll do this. And people will fail you every day. People will hurt you. People will let you down. You'll let yourself down. You'll sit there and tell yourself every day and look yourself in the, in the, in the, in the mirror or something like that. Or look at TV and be like, and tell yourself a hundred times a day, I'm going to be a better person today. But the one thing that I've learned is that there's nothing better than God. You know what I mean? There's nothing, nobody that can change you. You can't change yourself. There's no five-step plan or something that's going to change you or something. There's no amount of money that's going to change you. It may change your outer appearance, but your insides will always be the same. You know what I mean? So for me, it's an everyday struggle. And anybody that doesn't know me, I've, since I've been in this church for the two and a half years that I've been here, I've been a part of the worship team. I've been a part of the prayer and prophetic team. I've done spoken word. I've done Sunday school. And just like this, I could see all that go away and me just separate myself from God and not even care, like, and not even think about, like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? But at the same time, God is so merciful and so good that even in those times, he'll still hold you and teach you. He'll still love you and embrace you. He'll still bless you even more in abundance. And the more that you see these things, you sit there and you wonder why. And it's just the unfailing love that he has for you. You know what I mean? And I'm so grateful for everything that he's done for me, for what he's taken me from, from what he's blessed me with, from what he's done. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I look at myself and I'm like, I'm a 26-year-old boy from the Bronx that has no education, really, no nothing or whatever. And the jobs that I've done and the people that I've seen and the places that I've been in my life and stuff like that, the countries, and I've been so blessed. And at this point, it's just a time where I could finally, like, be real with myself and say, you know what? If I've ever offended anybody, I'm sorry. If I've ever hurt anybody, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? If I've ever done something wrong from the bottom of my heart, like I'm sorry or whatever, and it's, it's time that in my life and probably in some other people here that you stop pointing the finger and just start looking at yourself and just being thankful for what God has given you. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard. We go through hard times. You go through bad times, but at the same time, like, there's people out here that don't even have the chance to breathe, to live, to eat. You know what I mean? The chances that we have, you know what I mean? There's always something bigger and better and more important in life and stuff like that. And, I, and God, to be honest, like, you don't have to come here. My biggest thing was when I left church, like, I thought I was like, hey, I have to have it all together. Or oh, I messed up. I did wrong. And the thing is, you know what? No matter how many times you do wrong and mess up, you know what? You just got to get back up. Ask for forgiveness and just keep going. You know what I mean? Because it's not going to change the way that God sees you and how he loves you. So, thank you.
Hey. God bless you guys. My name is Jason. For those of you who don't know me, for those of you who do, God bless you. Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to get pretty intimate with you for the next couple of minutes, much like what Josh did. And uh, so I hope you guys don't judge me much after this, but I guess that's the whole point, right? So I'm going to get real, and then hopefully there'll be a good ending. Uh, so a few years back, I'd say more like four or, five, four, four or five years ago now, my life was completely different than what you see, than the life that I have today. I was uh, a part of an up-and-coming Christian rock band. Uh, I was, you know, traveling, and uh, I was playing a lot of music, and I wrote music, and I was working with a lot of established artists, and things seemed to be going well career-wise. I was married. I had just had a little baby girl. And, you know, my life was going in the direction that, you know, you would want it to, I guess, and then all of a sudden a huge left turn, and it felt like a, just like within a, like a blink of an eye, that my life totally changed. Um, and it felt just like overnight I was now homeless, going through a divorce, my band broke up <laughs> or ended, you know, however you want to put it, and my career totally stopped. The phone stopped ringing. Things were, 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 were no good. And I was really, really struggling really, really bad, both financially, spiritually, and I, was, and I fell into a really, really deep depression. And mind you, if you guys were here at that time, you probably saw me here every Sunday. Um, and side note, let me just say this, and, and I'll get back to the story. If you're going through a, a season right now where you are really down and out, the last thing you should do, last thing, is stop coming here, you know. Um, let the people who are holding you accountable hold you accountable. Let your leadership pour into you because I'm a result of that, all right? So I'll get back to the story now. No matter how hard that was to come here because a lot of you knew me and probably knew what I was going through and I heard rumors and nasty stuff, I still kept pressing in and it was really difficult for me, you know? I was going through such a deep depression that I started thinking about, well, maybe I should end my life. You know, I started thinking suicidal thoughts and I never had the guts to kind of like attempt to end my own life. I'm like, I'm not doing that. That's crazy. I was too, I, one thing I knew is I was, I knew God way too well and I was too scared of the consequences of that, you know? So I'm like, I'd rather live here than live eternally in hell, right? <laughs> it's black and white in the Bible and there's no gray area. So I'm like, okay, so I'm either alive or in hell. Okay. Uh, let's work this out, I guess. So, <laughs> so there I was contemplating, but, but how many of you, maybe you, not, you don't think of death, but you want to just end it? You just wish you were just, like, maybe God, maybe I won't take my life, but if you could just pull me out of this situation eternally, you know, then that'd be great, you know, and I can go to heaven and shazam, it's over, right? As, as, as Pastor jo um, Gary was talking about, just this lovely life. But I, I, I really wanted that. Eventually, I got some money together, and I was able to rent this room in back of someone's house, and it was like a room that was a boiler room at one point, so there was a closet, and it looked like a closet door, but when you opened, there was a boiler, and so, and the fumes that came out of there were just horrible, and he closed the door, and he sealed it, and he said, so as long as you don't open this door, you'll be fine, you can sleep in here, and everything will be okay. I said, all right, cool. <laughs> now, mind you, I'm going through such a hard time. I used this room as to separate myself from everything and everyone. I didn't allow anyone to really come there. I was very secluded, very to myself. I, it was my own little sanctuary, but at the same time, it was the place where I was deeply, horribly depressed. And I was going through so much heartache and pain. 
Eventually, one night, I wound up opening that boiler room door and not knowing much about what the fumes were about. I said, God, uh, I'm not going to take my life, but tonight I'm going to sleep in here and whatever happens, happens. Um, and so I, I prayed probably more earnestly and hard. I just went in on this prayer probably harder than I've ever prayed in my entire life. And I, I asked God, I begged God, I pleaded with God to take my life that night. I said, God, if you love me at all, you would end it. And then I prayed things like protect my daughter, raise, you know, raise her, you know, make sure she's a woman of God. I was asking God of all these things that were essentially my responsibility. But I said, God, please. I was trying to get out. And I said, God, please take my life. And so I, eventually I fell asleep. And it didn't work because I'm here. Or, <laughs> but, um, but I did, <coughs> I did wake up with a really bad, like, <laughs> uh, probably carbon monoxide poisoning type headache. You know what I mean? It was one of those you could taste it like, okay. Probably shouldn't have slept in the boiler room last night. And so I, I woke up and I realized that day that I was like, okay, God, you have a plan and a purpose for me and you won't let me give up. And, uh, and that was the day, the beginning of a restoration process that took many years or, you know, and took a long time and took a lot of effort and a lot of pain. Um, eventually, and the thing was, I had no other way. I had to go through. You know, you can't go around. You can't skip it. You had to, I had to walk through it. You know, it was one of those, one of those fields that if you don't go, you're not going to get there, you know. Eventually, I went through it. I went through a lot, a lot of issues, dealt with a lot of issues, and I started finding my way towards healing, towards restoration, towards redemption. Um, fast forward to today. Today, um, I'm recently married to one of the most amazing women I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Not Megan, somewhere. I'm just <laughs> my daughter, who was very young, you know, about, just about one at the time, is now going to be five years old in February. Um, starting school, she's doing amazingly well, uh, and I'm raising her. You know what I mean? I, I stepped up to the plate and said, God, if I can't, if you won't do it for me, okay, I'll do it. You know? <laughs> I guess. Uh, I'm working in music again. Just last night, I was at the Fuel Conference playing with a well-known artist, and God has been opening up those doors again. I've been writing music, and, and now I'm doing even more. Now I'm working with the youth ministry. I, I, of course, I'm on the worship team. Um, just to say all that to say this, man, if I went through a really dark season, and for some people, and I didn't give you details, but just know that there's rock bottom for everybody, right? That was a really rock bottom place for me, and I was, and, and it lasted a really long time, and it broke me, and I was broken. But today, you're looking at a, a man who's gone through that process of restoration, and I'm a 180 from what I was that day. You know, I slept in that boiler room, think, hoping, praying for death, and here I am today, just fo so far from that. Totally proud of the man that I am today with a job, with a uh, no longer homeless. Be I was able to provide not just for myself, but now for my family. And I have God to thank for that. Total restoration. Check one, check two. Hi, sorry about that. So my testimony is about the restoration of one of my children. Um, 
And I want to just, before I share this, just want to kind of um, post like almost like a little disclaimer and to know that for the parents sitting in this room who are um, maybe struggling or having a challenge with an autistic child, I want you to know that God is for you. I want you to know that your child is blessed. I want you to know that all things are possible and as you believe for your, for your child, God's going to do unbelievable things. Well, when my oldest son was a little boy, he was rounding toddler years, about two years old, we noticed that, uh, my husband and I noticed that his behavior um, <clears throat> was a little outside of what we thought the norm was. Um, he was quite aggressive. I was the parent that like had to stay inside of Sunday school because my child was biting other children. Like I wasn't allowed to leave him by himself. I almost like got into a fight with some lady at church because she made me feel so horrible about the way my two-year-old was behaving, which is just terrible, right? I mean, he's, he's a baby, he's a child, like, you know, but I'm over here and I'm praying and I'm saying to myself, but Jesus, you know, I pray over my son and I sing songs over him and I teach him the Bible and I love on him. And when I would walk in the street and I would see these parents and they'd be like, shut up. And they would slap their children and just act all kinds of abusive ways that I knew wasn't right. But their children were fine. Their children were what I thought in my mind, like, you know, the norm of what a toddler should be. I was thinking to myself, well, it's not fair. My, you know, I'm doing the right thing as a parent. Well, anyway, uh, I decided to get my oldest son evaluated because I was concerned. And just like any good parent, you want to get your child the help that he or she deserves, right? I mean, we don't want to neglect that. So I, I, I had a psychologist come, and, and, and my oldest son got evaluated, and the report came back and they said, well, you know, your son has autism. And they said, um, so, you know, what we're going to have to do moving forward is we're going to have to provide you with early intervention services. And then from there, your child's going to go into the special ed community within the school system. And that was before we had inclusive classroom setting for all the educators in the room. Um, and so I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, my son is going to be isolated, you know. And I just felt like everything in me cringed and, like, you know, I was a young parent. I was only 20 years old at the time. I didn't really understand what autism was. I was, I was afraid. I was afraid of that. And so I just, I, I started to pray and I started to ask God. And I said, but you know, when I look at my son, I mean, I don't understand too much about this, but he just seems like maybe an overactive kid and maybe they're just taking it too far. And so I talked to my husband and we stood in agreement. We said, we're going to believe the Lord that my son is not going to have to go into special ed. He's not going to have to, you know, have all these extra services. And some services we did provide him. And so as time went forward, he, we were in agreement in our home. And he had a, a co-worker that um, worked in early intervention services as well. And he was sharing that with um, his co-worker one day. And so she started to feed my husband these sorts of things like, oh, no, you know, if you don't get him the help that he needs, that's called educational neglect, and your wife is going to be neglecting him. And so then he would come home, and he would say, you know, we got to probably put him in this special ed because, you know, this, this could be a real situation. And I was like, but hold on. We're believing for Jesus. Like, we're believing the report of God. Like, what's, what's happening here, you know? So then I started getting, getting like, upset, and I sort of, like, getting, started getting upset with this woman. So then one day my husband was off of work, and like any good wife would do, I said,
honey, I'm going um, to go to the store. I'm going to go pick up some bread and eggs and milk. We got some things that, that are missing in the refrigerator. And I took my behind right to his job on his day off. And I said, so, knock, knock, can we have a conversation? Can we sit down for a second? Mind you, 20 years old. I was only 20, well, maybe like 21 years old. And, I, and this woman was probably 15 years my senior. And I was like, you know what? I know that I'm going to advocate for my child. I know that I'm going to sit here and not allow anyone to speak death into my home. So I sat down with her and very nicely, again, as any good wife did, would do, I said, so listen, so you coming in between my marriage. So your words and your wisely advice is causing discord in my home. So I'm asking you very nicely, back off. Because my husband and I are believing that my son is just fine. And we are providing the kind of services that he needs. We are not neglecting him if that's really your concern. But know that we are believing Jesus. So fine, that was the first battle. She left us alone, didn't apologize, left it alone. That was fine. A couple weeks later, I was in church. A couple people had found out about what happened. Somebody supposedly was concerned about my son, decided to come to me, another person who worked in early intervention services and was very educated about these sorts of things, and said to me, well, how's your son doing? Are you getting him the kind of services that he needs? Yes, I am. I don't know how you know about this, but yes, thank you for your concern. She was like, well, you better get him the kind of help that he deserves, because what's going to end up happening is he's, you're going to end up having a child who's going to be standing in the corner just like a vegetable like this. And I was like, what? There was a woman a very godly, beautiful soul standing right there. She knew me. We weren't really too close friends. She, when the woman walked away, she pulled me over to the side. She said, I don't know what's going on in your home. She said, but all I know is that that woman was sent from Satan. And she said, and right now, and she grabbed my hand. She said, in the name of Jesus, she said, your son will prosper. She said, your son will not be a vegetable sitting in the corner, you know, shaking himself like he doesn't, you know, have any sort of health in his mind or in his body. And so I just kept believing, and I was like, you know what, Jesus? I was like, I know the faith that I have. Well, fast forward, right? So when I got him in, I was going to enroll him in nursery school until they told me I could not enroll him in nursery school unless I enrolled him in special ed. And I was like, no, that's not happening. I know what Jesus said. I know God is going to cover my boy. And so I didn't put him in, even though they too said to me, you know, we could cite you for educational neglect. I was like, oh, here we go again. Everybody likes to throw that phrase everywhere. So I just held my ground. I, I, I unofficially homeschooled him at home. I bought workbooks. I sat with him day after day. Now, listen, when you're believing Jesus, you don't just sit there on your behind and do nothing. You do the very thing that God has told you. So I knew my boy was smart. I knew my boy was functional. So I sat and I taught him. And day after day, you can ask my husband, I had a routine, a schedule. We would wake up in the morning. We would do this. We would have snack. We'd have learning time. We'd have this time. We'd have OT time. We'd have all these other things, right? So... He gets to kindergarten, the first day of kindergarten. He's, first week of kindergarten, so a little shaky. He's not used to being in a full classroom setting environment. So I was like mama hen, like literally sitting in the lobby for the first two weeks outside. They're like, ma'am, can we help you? No, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm just sitting here. If my boy needs something, I am right here. Because I wasn't going to try to have no one talk about my boy like something was wrong with him. So I was sitting there just making sure, as any good mother would and, or could do, right? So I was sitting there. Again, fast forward. From that time since he began kindergarten, my eldest son 
has always been at the very top of his class. Even now he started his first year of high school, is excelling, he gets 100, 115 A's, A plus on every single solitary piece of work that he brings home into my house. And I could not be more proud of my oldest son, A, because I prayed, A, because I prayed and I believed, and B, because he is the eldest of five. And I asked God, give him as an example to these younger children in my family. And although they said he was going to be standing in a corner, something wrong with him in special ed, not being able to do A, B, C, and D, never, he, they even told me he would never be up to par with the other children in his class. And he has far surpassed in kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and now ninth grade, surpassed and always been at the head of his class. And I say that not to necessarily, yes, to brag on him because he's just amazing, but to brag on Jesus because I know that when we believe, that when we speak the name of Jesus over our children, that when we lay hands, God has given us as a covering over our children. And what we say, not what the government says, not what the system says, but what you believe for your children, not what a doctor tells you, not what a psychotherapist tells you, not what a psychiatrist tells you, not what medication says it can fix. But Jesus, the healer, the son of the living God, is the only one that will take what everyone says looks one way, looks like it's eaten up by the locust, and he takes it and he transforms it and he says, no, be restored, be restored in my glory, be restored in my name. So I want to encourage every parent in here today. I, you know, my, my, that was my situation. That was my challenge. That was how I came closer to God. That was what God used to build my faith. And I don't know where you are today, but I know that Jesus wants to build your faith in your parenting and that any challenge that you have with your child begin to declare the promises of God begin to declare it is not what everybody else says please know your authority in Christ it is what you say in your faith clothed in the Holy Spirit that will come to pass amen Amen. So in closing, I'm going to ask everyone to stand right now. It says in Isaiah 58:12, some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. God is restoring you and he's going to use you. To rebuild broken lives, broken homes, broken people. So for those of you today, you're believing God for restoration. Maybe you were like me or some of the testimonies you heard. You came from abuse, devastation. You've, you've made bad choices like I did. I wasted many years of my life. We're believing God for you today for supernatural restoration that God's going to break loose and things are going to begin to change in your circumstance. 
if that's you, will you come and stand with me today? Because I'm still believing God for my life. So I'm just going to ask you to come forward right now. If you have children that are in special ed or struggling, you go get them and bring them over here. We're going to pray today. We're going to believe God that everything that the locusts have eaten, that God is going to restore it today in Jesus' name. So I'm going to ask for, the, for those in the prayer team and the worship team, if you could just come. And we're not going to take a lot of time, but we're just going to speak restoration over your life right now in Jesus' name. So I'm going to ask you to come quickly and just begin to prophesy the restoration of God. That's it. So, so just begin to pray. Father, we thank you right now, oh God. I say restore in Jesus' name. You are the restorer of broken dreams, the restorer of broken lives, oh God. So I ask right now that you would begin to bring restoration, God.